0: Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are exploring the changing rules of business leadership and how CEOs are navigating this change. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray.
1: And I'm Michal Avram. Alan, I actually gave our listeners a little preview of this interview in our CEOI wrap-up episode that aired earlier this month, and in that episode, we featured an interview with Johnson & Johnson CEO Joaquin Duato, who claimed that their consumer goods business is soon going to be able to compete with L'Oreal, which I found pretty surprising. Now, I had just interviewed L'Oreal CEO Nicola Hieronymus, a few days before hearing Joaquin speak, so I didn't have a chance to ask him about this claim, but it's a really big claim to make. Uh, L'Oreal brought in $42 billion in revenue in 2022, and that's a 10% increase from the year before.
0: Yeah, and they are doing that, Mahal, across the globe. They have 37 consumer brands across four verticals, almost 90,000 employees in 11 countries. It's a monster company, Uh, and you interviewed Nicola while he was at the company's headquarters in Paris, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, He was there at their HQ, although like you said, they are really all over the world with so many different brands. Um, And L'Oreal had actually just wrapped their 2023 Paris Fashion Week runway show. Uh, This is a part of their luxe brand building.
0: Nicolas took over the company in 2021. He was only the sixth CEO of L'Oreal. He himself has been with the company for 30. And another thing he has in common with Joaquin of J&J is leading a stable legacy company where people tend to stay. They really commit. I'm really sorry I didn't get to join you for this one, Mahal. I've I've met him before. would have loved to have been uh, part of the interview. What else did you talk about?
1: Uh, well, it really was fascinating, and um, I actually was most interested in some of what he said about technology. You wouldn't expect a beauty company to be, you know, so uh, innovative and and in the weeds on the tech side, but um, this is one of his passions and a huge area of focus. For the company in general, they even have a chief metaverse position. By the way, um, that's just one aspect of their tech agenda, um, and they they today consider themselves a beauty tech company. Um, Nikolai is actually giving the keynote at the twenty twenty four Consumer Electronics Show about beauty tech. First time that a cosmetics company CEO is is doing this keynote. So we dug into that quite a bit.
0: Awesome, sounds like a fun conversation, Mahal. Can't wait to hear it. So let's dive in.
1: Okay, Nicola, welcome to the show. Um, Lovely to have you with us here. Uh, I want to start out by asking kind of a a broad question. L'Oreal has been around for a while. You've got us beat. Fortune's been around for just 93 years. Um, And I want to talk about um, just what it means to be a brand that has evolved so many times over so many decades, and now you leading it. What, what is the secret in your view today of that evolution of staying relevant?
2: Well, first of all, hello, Michel. It's a great pleasure to be uh, to be with you here uh, from uh, Paris, France uh, to talk about beauty uh, and about L'Oréal. So you're right to say that L'Oréal is, uh, is a 114-year-old company. So we're gonna be celebrating 115th anniversary next year. Uh, beauty is a uh, is an essential human need and it's an ever growing industry i mean it's like this un- unattainable ideal uh, that everybody's uh, striving towards and uh, and we are here to create the uh, the means to to achieve that uh, these objectives and dreams and and of course uh, the, this, the proof of that is that the market's been growing since, you know, I've been at L'Oréal for 36 years now, and it's I've, the only year when the market was negative was during COVID, not because people didn't need beauty, but because stores were closed and only those who were buying online that c- could do it. So it's a very dynamic market and it's the market we have uh, dedicated our entire company to, uh, we only do beauty, uh, but we do all of beauty at all price points, uh, with like more than 36 uh, global brands. So that allows us to to offer beauty to all, or should I say beauty to each, because uh, people's aspirations that it relates to beauty are very different. Uh, you were telling me about your daughters. I'm sure their beauty expectations are different from yours and from your uh, sisters or mothers. And we have to be able to satisfy everybody. And we do that through um, through very effective products. In the end, you know, L'Oréal was founded uh, 114 years ago by a chemist and uh, science, R&D, has always been at the heart of our model. We spend uh, over 3% of our turnover in uh, in research, uh, over 1 billion euro last year. Uh, we are one of the only companies in beauty that has uh, fundamental research, meaning we work to discover ingredients, not just to make formulas. And therefore, we are uh, constantly uh, uh, offering the best of beauty to consumers. So that's what we've been doing for 114 years, to be ahead of the curve to satisfy consumers.
1: So I, I want to dive a little deeper into uh, some of what you said about growth. Um, something is clearly working. L'Oreal sales, sales are at historic levels. Um, last year, the L'Oreal Group generated sales of over 38 billion euros about 42 billion dollars for those of us who think in dollars um, and that was a 10 percent year-to-year increase so can you tell us what's really driving this growth what are the products and the lines i know you've made all sorts of acquisitions over the years as well but but what are the trends that are really pushing this growth forward
2: well first of all let me say that during covid uh, which was a a time of crisis we really increased our gap versus the market and our leadership in a major way Uh, for, for several reasons, one is that uh, despite the uh, you know the store closures and all the difficulties we uh, we paused for a, a quarter and then we resumed our innovations and our launches and we know it's a market beauty is an offer market so you have constantly to stimulate consumers' appetite and desire so we never stopped launching products even when we're in in the middle in some countries of lockdowns. Then of course, the fact that we have we had become such, uh, such a, uh, a digital first company uh, really was a game changer. Not only did we have uh, very strong e-commerce uh, capa- capabilities uh, all across the, all over the world, but we had also ways to engage with our consumers, uh, for example, to have them try our products without having going to stores. The fact, you know, we acquired in uh, 2018, this uh, Canadian startup called Modiface, that uh, allows you uh, through augmented reality to try on your phone, lipstick shades, hair color shades, uh, foundations, or to do skin diagnosis. And that's, by the way, one of the uh, of the of, of the uh, of the aspects of beauty tech we're going to be discussing later, but that allowed our consumers to continue to try our products and and, and buy them if they wanted. So we really uh, increased very significantly our gap a gap versus the market during the crisis. We grew we grew twice, twice the speed of the market in uh, in 2021, and I would say declined uh, half the market uh, decline in 2020. If you ask me, what are the fastest uh, growing parts of our business? clearly for years, uh, our luxury division was a strong growth driver. Uh, It has become uh, our uh, our number one division uh, uh, in terms of size. And it's a division that had the pleasure to lead for uh, almost a decade with brands like Yves Saint Laurent, Lancôme, uh, 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 Kiehl's, which is a great American brand. And uh, more recently, it's just joined our... our, uh, our portfolio uh, ESOP, which we may talk about uh, later, but that, so that's been a, a strong growth driver. But more recently, we've had a, a, a great comeback of our mass market division through the rebound of makeup. Clearly, uh, we are this division is the global leader in uh, in makeup uh, in mass. We are the leaders in beauty and in makeup in general. But I have to say that brands like Maybelline, NYX, uh, really benefited from the uh, reopening of, uh, of of social life and uh, you know people uh, gathering together again. And uh, again, we came up with great initiatives and products. But if I must uh, highlight one part of our business which is really flying like, in a, frankly, an unbelievable ways like in the twenty nine percent growth last uh, last semester is our dermatological beauty division uh, with brands like CeraVe or La Roche Posay. Uh, skin suitable. And, and this really, uh, this, this division is really going flying because, because it was already pre-existing COVID, but health has become, uh, and, uh, you know, on the top of people's uh, preoccupation and, and having products that are both safe because prescribed by, do- by doctors and developed with doctors, very efficient, uh, and at, uh, affordable prices. So in the case of CeraVe, uh, this 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 has been an incredible business. I mean, CeraVe is a brand that uh, we acquired uh, five years ago. Uh, it was $150 million and now it's $1.5 billion uh, and it's a huge success all around the world. So this desire for safe, effective products has really propelled this uh, a dermatological beauty division uh, on at the uh, in the leading seat of our uh, of our growth engines
1: you mentioned a, a few acquisitions there including ASAP. Um, uh, what's what what would you characterize as as the loreal kind of playbook for for MA um across the globe especially as you look at the last few years how do you evaluate these acquisition targets and decide to pull
2: the trigger? First of all, I think there's a, an important fact that uh, you would be interested in is that out of the 37 global brands that we have today, uh, only uh, three, uh, or actually two, were created by L'Oreal. All the others were acquisitions across wow. our history. So L'Oreal, of course, which, which has two, when I say three or two, is because L'Oreal gave birth to L'Oreal Professional, which is the the hairdressing uh, brand and L'Oreal Paris, which is the mass market brand. And the third one is Kerastars, which I'm sure you use considering your beautiful long hair. Uh, So these three brands (laughs) were- were, uh,
1: First interview where somebody has mentioned my hair. Thank you.
2: (laughs) You're welcome. But so all the others were were acquisitions. And I think the pattern is more or less always the same. First of all, we, we, we seek complementarity. So uh, either in terms of channel, product category, geography, price points, um, we seek growth. Of course, we try to acquire brands that are, that are, that have a, that are growing, but that are still small enough, uh, or at least with a great international potential, because then what we do is we globalize them. So typically, if I take CeraVe, if I take kills, uh, and I could, or if I take Nix, I have to take a few American brands. These are brands that we acquired when they were uh, already a, a pr- have proven success in their home market. Uh, very complementary of our portfolio in terms of positioning, and then we grow, we uh, we roll them out, and we of course continue to push them in their local market. But we make them global successes. And every acquisition, because it's complementary. Uh, Gives us new ideas, new way of doing things. I remember when we acquired Urban Decay, uh, which is a, a, or NYX, which are two, you know, indie American uh, makeup brands. They were launching products much faster to respond to trends that we were doing. And so we changed our ways of working to to replicate what they were doing. When we acquired Kills, we discovered, I would say, a certain approach to retail uh, and to service to consumers, which we now apply in many brands. And I'm sure now we just made the acquisition of ESOP, which is a brand that's already a bit bigger than when we, what we traditionally acquire, but that still has a huge potential. Not, I mean, It's only got four stores, four or five stores in China, which are, by the way, packed with consumers. Uh, and again, uh, ESOP is a very premium, luxurious uh, retail experience with products that are also uh, leveraging aromatherapy and and essential oils. And I guess it will also uh, get us stronger on many of these aspects.
1: I want to dive into the, the tech piece because I think um, the way you've positioned the company and, and how much you've leaned into this is, is really fascinating. And I want to start by just first asking you about um, this announcement that you're going to be delivering a keynote at the Consumer Electronics Show. Um, I've been going to CES for quite a few years. I don't think they've ever had a beauty CEO come and speak. So tell me first a little bit about what it means to be a beauty tech company. What does that title even mean to you?
2: First of all, I, have to, I must tell you that I'm a... Uh... Both uh, very honored to be, uh, you know, to do the opening keynote of the CES. I have to say, I'm a I'm a bit under stress and pressure because it's a big show. So uh, I, I'm I like doing keynotes, but this one's uh, is particularly important. So and as you said, it's the first time ever a beauty company CEO is uh, is doing that speech. So uh, so we are working very hard on uh, making it worthwhile for the uh, for the audience. Uh, but I think it's uh, it's a real uh, testament to our To our commitment to technology, uh, you know, we, we've of course we've been, as I said, we're a science-led uh, company, we're science-driven, and science today, of course, is chemistry, it's biology, but it's, it's also technology. Uh, we, uh, uh, you know, early 2010, we really embraced the digital transformation, which was both a booster for. Or in the industry with the development of selfies and try-ons, etc. But it's also it was also an enabler for our teams and our and our own capacity to to engage consumers and to offer them the best the best products. But technology is evolving now so fast that uh, we have really embarked into a next level of transformation, which is really for me twofold. One is towards the consumer, and another one is internal, uh, and. Both in the end thrive on, on the leverage of data, computing power to, to offer the best tailor-made solutions. First of all, for the consumers. Uh, we were talking all around about muddy face and virtual Tryons. but today in the, the plethora of beauty products, uh, if we want to be able to offer beauty to all, but a beauty that's tailor-made for each individual, we have to have a deep understanding of one's skin needs, uh, uh, psychology, uh, uh, skin issues, uh, and, and, and using tech and data to make sure that the product or the routine I will recommend to you, Michal, will be very different from the one I would uh, recommend for, to my wife or that we use for myself. So we, we are developing diagnosis tools. Uh, we're leveraging uh, huge data partnerships with companies like Verily, for example, or startups like Brizometer to tie. In the end, to to bridge the the to the, the dots between uh, you know your environment, your lifestyle, your skin, and your beauty objectives, and that's really a way to to increase the satisfaction of consumers. So that's one aspect of beauty tech, and uh, we've been show, showcasing many of these either diagnostic or application tools at CES for years now. And then there's the other part, of course, is the inter- internal part of Beauty Tech, which is using data to, uh, for example, empower our researchers to formulate faster, uh, and that's where AI uh, is really uh, helping a lot. So we have our own. It's the combination of the human power of the human brain and of the of the computing power of the machine with AI, and we see that our both in research or in operations, supply chain efficiency, we are really. Uh, Making strong progress in that direction so it's it's really a, a huge financial commitment uh for the company actually we're, we are spending in tech more than we do even in uh in in pure r and ds it's over a billion euro slightly more
1: wow that's a that's a a really staggering statistic
2: yeah it's a big number and it's of course they are very synergistic so uh uh so in the end the uh tech is the Tech is the new uh, leg of, uh, of of science for L'Oréal, and that's that's really uh, uh, the the only challenge is to keep up with the pace of, of, of transformation of this of this technology industry, and that's why being at CES, where all happens and all the new uh, technologies are shown, is a is a is a is a great uh, is a great privilege and a great source of inspiration for us.
0: Jason Garzadas, the CEO of Deloitte US, is the sponsor of this podcast and joins me today. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Alan. It's great to be here. I have a sense, Jason, from conversations on Leadership Next and elsewhere, that business leaders today better understand the benefits of having a diverse set of voices at the management table. But what are some of the lessons you've learned through Deloitte's own DEI journey?
3: Yeah, lots of lessons learned. I think we've certainly made progress. We feel like that's a function of a couple of things. Deloitte is very proud to have published twice a transparency report that sets forward long-term expectations for the diversity of our workforce and how we hold ourselves accountable. That is meant to be, and I think has served to be, a role model stance for us to take and one that we encourage all businesses to replicate. The second is to get specific. In addition to transparency, the specific objectives around gender diversity, around Black and Hispanic Latinx, as well as other cohorts that we have really established not only a recruitment, and retention, but also advancement goals for. And finally, adding to the mix, how we intend to hold ourselves accountable for supplier diversity, as well as longer term ambitions for us in this space. So our experience is somewhat emblematic of what a lot of large organizations go through, but for us, the commitment and transparency, as well as the specificity around cohorts, has made a difference. And we've seen positive results in the last two years that we're hoping to build upon. Do we declare success? Absolutely not, but it's made all the difference for us.
0: Jason, thanks for your perspective and thanks for sponsoring leadership next.
3: Thank you
1: It's interesting though, you know you're you're talking about technology as sort of a vehicle for more inclusivity um, within your sector. And I wonder if it's also um, a vehicle for you know consumer empowerment and in some other ways. Um, my daughters actually were in, in France this summer, and they came back with this app, which I'm sure exists everywhere. And now they're scanning all of my cosmetics products, and it right away this app shows them, you know, a scale of how environmentally friendly, how healthy, uh, you know, the product is. And so I'm wondering, that level of empowerment, consumer empowerment, does that put even more of an onus on companies like L'Oreal? Uh, I know you've already done a lot of work on making sure that um, you know the contents of the products are cleaner and more sustainable, um, but how does that impact how you do your product development when consumers have so much power in their hands?
2: Well, actually, we are, uh, we are eager to empower consumers even more. We've been transforming ourselves and our products and our formulas and our packaging for decades now. And, uh, and we are very much aligned on the SBTI target to stay within the 1.5 degree uh, uh, temperature change. Uh, but we want it won't happen without the consumer themselves uh, changing their habits. So we've done, we've done several things. Uh, the one thing we'll be talking about app, AB, which is very dear to my heart is that we have developed a methodology, which we call EcoScore, uh, to, to precisely measure, uh, the environmental footprint of products. Uh, ranked from A, B, C, D to E, uh, e being the worst. Uh, and it's been done with uh, external scientists, with NGOs, and it involves everything, including the scope three, i.e. the usage phase and the rinsing of the, of the product. And uh, that's what I like also about. Being a CEO today is that it's not just about winning; it's about also having an impact and and involving other stakeholders in the transformation. So we we called a uh, first of all another company which we know is also at the forefront of sustainability, which was Unilever, and uh, we decided together to create a consortium and invite all the other beauty players in the industry, all the other retailers, to join that. Uh, uh, that movement and to uh, align on what this uh, eco score would be so that we can all have the same score uh, on our products and for consumers to be able to choose. I have to say it takes it's already on our products and sorry if you go to the sites, uh, the internet sites of Garnier, for example, you will see uh, uh, the uh, environmental impact of a Fructis product. It takes a bit of time to align everybody uh, because, of course, each company has different perspectives on, on, on what the score should be and should encompass, but we're getting there. But we don't stop there. We also transform our products. For example, uh, I'm a great believer that the, the best way to reduce packaging intensity is to use refills. So if you take our fragrances, we are, as you may know, we are the worldwide leader in fragrances all our new fragrances and today uh, 70% of our catalog is refillable so uh, you can buy your beautiful bottle of Prada Paradox or whichever you want to buy and then you can buy uh, a refill which has much less packaging much less uh, uh, glass and you can refill your bottle Uh, and of course uh, it's not only more sustainable but it's uh, more economical because uh, it provides a real saving for the consumer because in reality even though consumers claim that they want to shop sustainably, uh, if they don't see another benefit, uh, they will hardly sacrifice the, uh, either the beauty of the packaging or the price. So we make these refills both more affordable and more ecological. And that's our, our way to contribute to uh, consumer behavioral change. Indeed, the consumer has a role to play
1: so i i've got another question for you on this kind of intersection of changing consumer behavior and technology um i saw this interesting story about a woman i think on on tiktok who was mixing all these different nail polish colors in water um how how do you make sure that the way you're listening to and interacting with consumers is evolving as those consumers platforms are evolving and what teams do you have in place to make sure that they are really on top of it and catching all of the latest trends so that that can inform your product development
2: well i think there are two there are two sides to your question first of all is how do we uh stay on top of the new i would say the new Engagement channels with consumers and how do we speak to to consumers or listen to consumers? Uh, Frankly, here we are uh, true to the mantra I was talking about earlier, which is uh, seizing was it starting? You know, whenever a new uh, a new channel of communication appears and becomes the channel of a generation, which is the case of TikTok today, uh, we we jump on it and we uh, set up not only uh, uh, we set up teams, best practices. And, and usually we're pretty good at it. And if you take, you know, a brand like CeraVe, uh, is, today, uh, uh, one of, uh, according to advertising age is the. One of the two leading brands that it relates to its TikTok uh, uh, strength and, and engagement strategy. So we have teams, of course, in uh, in the USA, but in China, in uh, in Europe, and and we really uh, have our pulse on both on the new media and on the new consumers' expectations and communication styles. So that's that's very much in our DNA, and there are many. Uh, Many ideas that 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 spring from from what's happening on the social networks. You'll remember the contouring fashion uh, back in, a few years ago. It was just using existing products in a in a very creative way to have a, a very specific result, and that we follow, and it inspires it inspires our marketing teams and it inspires our our labs. So uh, uh, the great thing is that now with with the social networks and even the, you know, ratings and reviews that we all look at when we choose a restaurant or hotel or a beauty product, we have, uh you know, instant real time consumer loop. Uh, and by the way, that's part of the tech that we have equipped our R&I with, our R&D with, is that whenever we launch a product, we know instantly whether it's great, uh, good, uh, should be improved. Uh, what are the f- potential flaws? And that allows our labs to immediately rework if necessary and, and come up with an even better formula. So it's fantastic. You know, as, uh, when I started, you had to go in the street and ask consumers what they thought about your product. Now, their feedback comes directly to you, so it's fantastic.
1: I want to ask you about culture also, and there, there's such a rich history in L'Oreal of the the culture, the in-office culture, um, the the power of the brand, and the history of the brand. Um, as you've um, you know, made more of these forays. Uh, into tech, into moving so fast to develop product. And I know there's always been a deep science background in history there, but, you know, agile development. Um, these are these are newer concepts. Um, and as the acquisition targets have been so global and the culture has expanded, how do you kind of keep uh, the dna alive how do you keep f- in focus what l'oréal has been and what's worked for years and spread that through the company
2: well i think uh thank you for this question because you know i think in the end uh the real recipe of l'oréal success we talked about science about brands about products but the real recipe is our people and our culture and uh and it's it's an incredible asset and I have to say you know uh having being uh 36 years in the, in this company, I'm still amazed every day at the level of passion, commitment, creativity, um, interconnection of our teams and our capacity from Shanghai to New York, Rio or Paris to, to, to behave the same, to think the same and to be fully aligned. So, uh, how do we keep this alive? And it's an even better and more important question at the time of, uh, post COVID remote working, uh, trends. Uh, and, and I think, and that's something that's very, very dear to my heart. So how do we keep it alive? Uh, first of all, Uh, we, uh, we have people that stay quite a long time at L'Oreal, you know, uh, I was looking, if you take the top 300 managers of L'Oreal, their average tenure in L'Oreal is 18 years. Wow. So there is a very strong, uh, you know, very strong stability. We regularly and constantly bring people from outside from either from acquisitions or people that we recruit even at high level. But there is a, a, a very strong common culture that's being passed on, either orally uh, or, uh, you know, physically. When uh, when we have big gatherings uh, uh, across the years, we communicate a lot, and I do communicate a lot. Uh, I, last year, I recorded, I think I counted 35 videos uh, to share uh, what was happening at the group level, the vision, the strategy, uh, uh, and that's 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 bringing people together. Uh, we very early on post covid we said uh, at loreal and i know at the time it was not so popular when you were hearing what's you know the the pitch from the uh, silicon valley uh, uh, companies that uh, it was the end of, of of office work we said well at loreal you have to be in the office 3 days a week uh we're going to make it worth it we're going to transform our offices and i don't know if you've been to the loreal west coast offices uh in el segundo but you should go and see it because it's really an incredible uh place. And frankly, uh, you want to be there. You want to spend some time there. So we want to keep people together. We believe in serendipity. And, uh, and so there is a, and we, we, we travel, we meet people. So it's a very oral company in the end and people share the same passion.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. It's been great hearing about everything that's going on at L'Oreal. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you very much, Michal. And uh, have a good day in, uh, in California. Leadership Next
0: is edited and produced by Alexis Hott. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Our executive producer is Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a product of Fortune Media.